Going presently through the flying hour. This is the Gargsville Podcast with your host, Gargs Allard. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Gargsville Podcast. This is your host, Gargs Allard. Welcome friends, listeners, neutral listeners, and future enemies of me in your own mind, because I don't consider you my enemy. Well, another presidential election has come and gone. Do you know where your sanity is? Let me ask you this. If you had just shut yourself off from the news and went on with your own personal goals in life during this whole time, free from distraction, would it have been a different experience for you? Would it have been better? Would you be better off right now? In any case, I hope everyone is okay with themselves and where they stand in the world at the moment. If not, there's always tomorrow, right? Hell, there's always today. There's always this moment to change for the better. We have to have hope and optimism, right? And to almost quote John Lennon, and I don't know about you, but no yellow belly son of Tricky Dicky is going to change my life. It's up to me to change my life for the better. And the struggle continues. And even if 2020 didn't go down the way it has, the struggle still would have continued. We're all just passing through here, my fine feathered listeners. So let's try to be respectful and kind to each other while we attempt to fight the good fight and deal with our individual and collective lots in life while trying to make positive changes for both now and into the unknown thing we sometimes laughingly label as the future. Okay, enough of the esoteric mumbo-jumbo in the verbal gymnastics. It's time for another show. So, unlike Mark Marin, who says, lock the gates, and I'm a big fan of Mark Marin, I say, it's time to unlock the door. Today we have on 89-year-old Will Lewis, former instructor at the University of Florida, former news director of WUFT-TV here in Gainesville in the 1960s, one of the pioneers of KCRW in the man who went to jail for withholding the SLA tapes involving Patty Hearst from the FBI while heading KPFK, Los Angeles in the mid-70s. He got his bachelor's degree at the University of Miami, his master's at Boston University, and was awarded a fellowship at Columbia University. We discussed these things and much more with him, including the anti-Semitism his father dealt with in Miami in the 1940s and his service in the Marines during the Korean War where he wrote for the Stars and Stripes. Whoever the president happens to be or could be when you listen to this, and it is probably Biden, one thing I hope we all agree on is that we need to protect the First Amendment of freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And what better way to remember that than to honor those who have come before us and have worked to uphold these principles. So without further ado, here's my interview with Mr. Will Lewis, who, by the way, is also the older brother of Marty Lewis by a full generation, like 18 or 19 years. Marty Lewis, of course, is the voice of Old Uncle Hound. You're listening to the Gargsville Podcast with your host, Gargs Allard. Hello. Hello, Will. Yes. Hey, this is Gargs. How are you doing? Okay. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk to you. 
your your brother Marty has told me a lot about you throughout the years. He claims, oh yeah, he claims he has that he has about 140 IQ and you have 160 IQ. So he, <laughs> I don't, I don't. <laughs> he probably does have 140, but I, I don't, I, I don't know what my IQ is. Well, I guess this is his speculation based on his experiences with you. Well, my experience and his experience is different, quite different. Well, you've had a lot of experience, and I was um, interested to talk to you about your long and storied career in broadcast radio and, I guess, television as well. You worked in both fields, is that correct? Uh, Yes. Yes, actually, uh, yeah. I I started uh, when I was 14. Uh, I wrote uh, gags for a, a comedian called Ernie Simon who was doing a morning show at uh, WITH in Baltimore. Wow. Is that where you're from, Baltimore? Baltimore, yeah. Of, of course, you know, Marty always tells me about growing up in Miami. At what point did you go to Miami? Well, I didn't go to Miami until uh, I graduated uh, high school. They, uh, the family moved uh, the year before, and I stayed at my Aunt uh, Esther's for a year while I uh, gr- finished up to uh, my year at uh, City College. Oh, okay. So you were writing gags? You were like a, a teenage joke writer? Right. Wow, that's a pretty good gig. Well, I mean, for yeah, for a teenager, it was pretty good. You know, I was making, like, when he went to skits, I think I got, uh, I was making $12 a week. How much was $12 a week back then? Could you tell me what year that was? Well, that was 1948. Wow. Yeah. I heard that when Woody so, Allen was a teenager, he, he used to write jokes for the yeah, newspaper. Yeah, but he made more money than I did. Yeah, but he was, he was, that, that, he was, I was 14, he was 18. Okay. <laughs> Big difference. Four years made. So, did you always have a good sense of humor? I thought so. Yep. And somehow you, you, you've been involved in some real landmark cases you know, first of all, we're, we're interested. I, I was interested in talking to you because of your connection to Gainesville. So maybe we can, we can uh, right. start off, sure. off there. You, you, so you were in Baltimore, you went to Miami, I guess you got your undergraduate at the university of Miami. Is that correct? That's correct. And then I got my, uh, uh master's at Boston university. Oh, so you're at BU. So when did, yeah. when, when did Gainesville come into the picture? And, and, and also, sorry to jump ahead, but what did you get your degrees in? The University of Miami degree was in uh, American Civilization and at Boston University, uh, it was in uh, uh, film production. Oh, you were interested in film? Uh, yeah, at, at one time, because, you know, film was, was an important factor in television. I was interested in television. I see. Okay, so you got those degrees, and at some point, you were with both WUFT and WRUF, and you were an instructor at the University of Florida? Right. Well, I wasn't really connected to WRUF. RUF was sort of uh, run independently okay. of, of, of the university. I mean, it, was, well, it belonged to the university. It was really a separate uh, unit. It was a commercial station. So I was I, I was the television news director of WUFT. Let's see, uh, that would be 60, 62, 63, 64, yeah. 
Wow. So I was television uh, news director and uh, taught television uh, news production and also taught uh, radio production. So how did you like Gainesville? Right. Well, I did like the temperatures. (laughs) What do you have, about a 30-degree difference between uh, early morning and uh, late afternoon? It can be. It can be. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a pleasant town. It was, uh, I, had, I had a family, but I, wor- I worked a lot. Uh, I was responsible for uh, the uh, for distribution of uh, tapes. We produced programs and, uh, and distributed them to uh, radio stations in, uh, all over Florida. So it was uh, like I had a-, a program. Yeah, I had a program called uh, Your Florida Guard. So it was, uh, we had uh, two professors who wrote a book called Your Florida Guard from the uh, School of Agriculture. And, uh, and they would come in each week and uh, I would be the, I know anything about it. I could grow grit. Uh, but I would interview them, and then I would uh, edit it down to uh, two and a half minutes, three minutes, and uh, we had five programs a week. And I had uh, when I left, and we were distributing it to 225 stations all over Florida. Wow! When I was growing up, there was a show called Crockett's Victory Garden on PBS. Was it something like that? Are you aware of that? Ah, uh, no. Basically, it was how to how to grow uh, grass plants in your garden in uh, in Florida. Did you learn a lot on the fly? No, I was a terrible guy. I didn't. I didn't apply any of it. Did you ever meet people and they asked you for garden tips and you didn't know what to tell them? No. Well, that's good. No, I, that would be an embarrassing situation. <laughs> well, I did so many programs, and I was also doing other programs. In fact, I installed a service called uh, University of Florida Broadcast News, and I got the Associated Press and uh, United Press International, UPI, to run advisories on their wire. So whenever a big story occurred at, at the university, we would convert it into uh, into a, a radio news story and uh, and put it on the. Uh, it was very simple. We had you know the old answering device, and we put it on the answering device, and they called that number, and then automatically, then a What's an answering sure. device? An answering device was a uh, a machine uh, that Bell had that uh, where you could uh, you you could store messages and the people who called it could access the message. Was it kind of like a like a, a precursor to it the? Like a, well, it's like it was like a built-in tele, uh, you know a tape recorder. Oh, attached to some electronics, and it was a very simple device. I mean, everybody had one. Uh, every business had one. So when you were out, you could you, know, you could actually you know re- it would also record messages. That was before before the iPhone. Oh yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, you know, no matter what time we live in, we we think that we're on the cutting edge of technology. And you know, twenty years from now, people will look back and kind of laugh right, at that right, at the notion. Right. You know. But I was using you know, I was using the technology that was available, and that was the, it was pretty good. I mean, it meant uh, that uh, any radio station that got the Associated Press or United Press International news broadcast newswire. Uh, could see that there was important news coming from the University of Florida. So that they, if they were interested in that story, they would call. You know, I didn't have to be there. Uh-huh. Take the, to take the call. It was all, all done automatically. It was the best use of the technology that was available at the time. So how long did you work at the University of Florida as both an a instructor and with a station? Director, uh, so 62, 1962, 1963, 1964. 
Wow. I was born in 1964. Yeah, we were inventing television. I mean, in other words, they're, they're, you know, the people at that time, we were, we were all inventing well, television news. I mean, there, was no, there was no set example. Was it an, ex- an exciting, pioneering time? Did you get that sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought so, yeah. So why did you leave Gainesville? Oh, I got a uh, CBS uh, News uh, Foundation fellowship, which, which uh, was a year at the Columbia University graduate school. Any subject I wanted, any class I wanted. And uh, we would meet uh, once a week at the CBS uh, studios and uh, on Madison Avenue. And uh, we had graduate, and we would we had projects. So we would we would uh, they would give us a project like uh, Walter Cronkite had just expanded his newscast from 15 minutes to 30 minutes, and they want a critique of the program. Okay. So we watched the, we watched the programs at night. And at the uh, end of the week came in, uh, and uh, well, I remember Walter Cronkite being there with a big legal pad and a pen, never said a word, just listened to us as we went around the room. And there were 13 of us. Okay. Did you get to speak to Mr. Cronkite at any point? Uh, not directly, no. I, you stood up and you you gave your critique. He was an iconic figure. I mean, you must have felt. Did you feel nervous at all? Uh, not particularly. I mean, he, you know, he was sitting there and he was quiet, didn't say a word, just took notes. He was really interested in what what people had to say. Later on, when I went uh, when I left, uh, I, I was hired to be the off the air news director of WISH TV in Indianapolis. Channel 8. Wish? W-I-S-H? Okay. Yeah, Wish TV. Yeah. That's cl- that's clever. And I actually got I got to feed the, uh, the CBS Evening News. Uh, we, we had a tornado that came through uh, Indianapolis and uh, destroyed a nearby town called Rusheville. When, what year was that? It had, had, had to be in 65, I guess. Well, you were at UF, and then you went to you had your CBS fellowship. News. And, yeah, the fellowship, and then I got hired at the end of the fellowship. Uh, by the way, I was moonlighting at NPR, at, at NBC News, at NBC Radio. They had a radio network at that time. Wow, I would have loved to have been around in those times. I wish there was a time machine. Yeah, yeah when David Brinkley was just a newscaster. Yeah. It was back when, like, Walter Cronkite, he was, like, the most trusted man in America. Absolutely. And, and now, would, <laughs> nobody trusts anyone, anything, almost anyone says in the news. I don't think that's, I mean, I've got my, I got people I, I depend on. Okay. Well, there's a lot more pretty, cynicism, let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, sure. You got a president who says, don't trust the news at all. Just tr- trust me. Very good point. <clears throat> yeah, I don't want to go off on a, a Trump tangent right now because he's he's doing some pretty crazy no, things. No. <laughs> yeah, no, no. He, he speaks for himself. <laughs> we, we don't have, we don't have to speak for him. <laughs> okay, so you're in uh, Indianapolis. There's a tornado, okay, so and now, by the way, right, I'm so I'm I'm scared to death of tornadoes. But anyway, go ahead. Okay, so there's a tornado. I I go I come in. Uh, you know, it was at night. It was about eight o'clock at night. So I put my my family in in, in the cellar at the apartment house that we were in. We, actually, we were in a condo, and then we went. And I put them in the cellar, and I went in. I I drove in studios. You know, I looked at the wires and, and called. And I called everybody in. We had uh, four, we had that time we had uh, four photographers, and then we had we actually had a mobile unit. Okay, so I had to call the program director to get permission to 
to uh, to to take the uh, unit out of the garage. And so he argued with me. <laughs> he actually argued. I said, "Well, what the hell did you? This is like a two o'clock in the morning now." So why do we have a mobile unit if you're never going to use it? This is the time to use it, right? And you were going to drive it? No, 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 no. I had a correspondent and a, and a driver, and uh, we were all set. Okay. So after we argued with for about 10 minutes, we finally released it, and we sent the unit out, sent the mobile unit out. And uh, so I got filmed back beginning at around 5 a.m., and I started to edit. So I, was the, I, I acted as the editor. Uh-huh. And we had we had videotape, and then the videotape came in. Actually, the videotape came in late, and I got a chance to look at it. It was unbelievable. It looked like World War II. The camera would, would pan down the streets of Rucheville, which were demolished, the buildings on either side. And the reporter, who had a very deep uh, Edward Arbor kind of voice, would describe what he was, you know, what he was seeing. It was fantastic footage. Didn't have a chance to edit it. Uh, anyhow, I was editing fast because CBS wanted the footage, and we had to feed it uh, over coaxial cable that they had ordered no later than uh, 10 a.m. that morning, central time. They were on Eastern and went to Chicago and then went to New York. Anyhow, that night on, on, on the CBS Evening News, we had the top three stories. Wow. Was that during the Palm Sunday tornado outbreak? It may have been. It may have been. Wow. I know that, that President Johnson came a couple of weeks later to look at the uh, the wreckage. How long did it, it take them to recover from it? Oh, over over a year. They had to rebuild the damn city. And how many people passed away? I don't think that many. Just a couple. Okay. They well, were, yeah. In other words, they had, they got the warning. It was an official warning. So they all took cover. It's when they don't have a warning. So they must have saw, seen it coming to be able to pick yes. it up and give some people right. so much warning. Right, right, right. And sometimes these things pop up, you know. Right. None of Indianapolis hit. Anyhow, that was the high mark that to see all your, you know, all your work on on the CBS Evening News. The only problem was that we followed the CBS Evening News, and the only footage we had is the stuff that we fed to them. Wow, <laughs> that must have made you feel proud, though. Well, how proud's a little embarrassed at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you get a better idea how you know the national news works. You know, when you have that kind of experience. Yeah, I told them, I said, I have this unedited footage of, of uh, my correspondent walking through the streets of Rucheville. It looks like World War II, and I'm going to let, I'm going to ship it to you. So they they edited it. Now, I have, you know, a number of things I want to ask you about. So I might hop around a little bit. Sure, I'm, go ahead. I'm really interested in the situation. I think you were at KPFK. Yes. Uh, Los Angeles yeah. in you dealt with the whole the whole Patty Hearst thing. Could you tell us about right. that? Yeah, there was a, a shootout at Mel's Sporting Goods Center, which was near this radio station. About it was probably fifteen minutes away, and then the uh, LAPD located some uh, the SLA members uh, in a cottage nearby, and they lobbed uh, like twenty three shells and actually burned the, the cabin down. They killed some. I forget how many they killed. They killed at least three, and then uh, but the most of them got away including Patty Hearst, of course. Uh-huh. And then there was, and then they didn't hear from her for, I don't know, something like 23, 26 days. And we got a, uh, we got a tape from the SLA. I got called at like at five thirty in the morning. So uh, the, the S- I'm sorry, the SLA is the, how do you say it, The Symbionese the, the Liberation Symbionese Army. Symbionese Liberation Army, right. Okay. 
which was shortened to the SLA, naturally. So you got uh, called? We got, I got called by my morning station operator about 5.15 in the morning, and he said that he had just gotten a call from somebody saying that there was a, uh, a tape from the SLA in the mattress behind the station. What kind of a tape? Program. It was a cassette tape. Oh, it was an audio tape, okay. Audio tape, yeah. And uh, so I came in and had the tape played for me. I called the... Uh, I called my program director and I said, I, uh, it doesn't look like you need to come in right now. Let me listen a little bit more. I didn't understand. See, I didn't follow the SLA story much. Uh-huh. No, well, so I, I'm did. sorry. What was your position there at KPFK? I was general, ma- general manager. Okay. Okay. This gives me better context. Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm listening to the tape and I don't recognize any names. And they're speaking about everybody's got an African name. And so I don't know. The third person to speak on the tape said, I'm trying to think now how exactly how she said it. Oh, this is Tanya. Well, I knew that from reading uh, the report and hearing the reports on the SLA. Tanya was the name that uh, Patty Hearst took. Okay. So the minute I heard Tanya, I stopped the tape for the, and then I called my program director and I said, you better come in. And I said, and I, there was a, a Pepsi uh, commercial at that time called It's the Real Thing. And I just sang it. I said, it's the real thing. I remember that commercial about Coke. Huh? I remember, but it was about Coke. Yeah, well, I sang it there because I assumed that my uh, that my phones were tapped. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, and they were. I found out later. So why why were they so interested in you? They thought we were uh, that we were somehow affiliated with the SLA because we were a uh, a, a left wing radio station. Oh, I see. And uh, and the uh, LAPD still had the Red Squad. What was the Red Squad? The Red Squad were were, at, were after communists. Or communist leading organization. So the squat, they would like investigate different organizations yeah. like that. Okay, Infil- infiltrate, investigate, you know, okay, and raid, and you know and all that. So, okay, so they still had that. Probably the only police department in the country that had a red squad devoted to that. Now Patricia so, Hearst. I mean, some people don't know uh, because they're a lot younger than even I am. Oh sure, uh, yeah. But Patricia but, Hearst was the was the heiress uh, to the uh, the Hearst. Fortune. Hearst was the uh, had a, a string of newspapers and radio stations. Yeah, he was a published magnet, uh, William Randolph Hearst, correct? Right. Yeah. Right. And he was he was she was his granddaughter, and I guess you're saying the heiress. Right. Okay. And somehow she got in. She got kidnapped. Kidnapped and and then converted. She became one of them in a sense. She became. Yeah. She robbed a bank. I was really little, maybe 10 years old or something when it was going on. So I really didn't understand. Yeah. I heard it being talked about a lot, but I guess my little brain was more interested in baseball. Well, sure. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, even I had, you know, cursory knowledge of it. Uh-huh. I wasn't following it that much. Yeah. So we had a, I called for a news conference at for noon. Upstairs, we had a lot of space. We were primarily on the on the first floor of the radio station. The second floor, we had the uh, Pacifica archives, tape archives. Then we had a lot of room, so we had the news conference upstairs where I could put down chairs for the reporters. And, and, and the news conference was carried live by radio stations and some television stations. 
Wow. And we had it early enough to know that we could, that we would be on the uh, on Cronkite's show. We would hit his deadline, be ahead of his deadline. We had to have it before 2 p.m. Eastern, right weather uh, Pacific time. So we had it for noon, which, which gave everybody time to get their footage together. Uh-huh. And we played it, and we played the entire tape, obscenities and all. Wow. Warning everybody that, that, you know, because I knew they were being carried live, I did a warning for them. Oh, so the first, so the first thing I did after we played the tape, uh-huh. they made a copy. The engineers made a copy. I took the tape. This is now like around ten o'clock. News coverage is at noon. I went to the to the nearby Bank of America and opened a safe deposit box. I put the tape there. Then I went out and got a, to a men's shop nearby and got a clean white shirt and a tie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did that. I had my jacket, and so I, so I would have a tie and a jacket for the uh, for the news conference when uh-huh. I came back. Anyhow, I got a phone call from the LAPD, and they said they would like a copy of the original tape. And I said, it's not our policy to turn over the original tapes of any of, any of our, uh, or anything in our newsroom to local authorities or federal authorities. So when you said that to them, were you afraid at all? Did you say it nonchalantly? Did you just say it as a matter of duty? Or... Or, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I wasn't nervous there. I mean, because because there wasn't a it wasn't a, a confrontation. Okay. It was at that point it was over the phone. Okay. So I forget how many days went by. Oh, then the FBI came by. No, they came by to intimidate me. They had the guy. The guy had his uh, his billy club dangling next to his uh, his sidearm, wow. which he, he exposed it. You know, and I said, you know, I was a little intimidated, but I said to him the same thing. I said, we do not turn over original material that originates in our newsroom uh, to, to federal authorities or local authorities. That, that we considered that a uh, interference in the in the operation of our newsroom. Wow. Did you feel intimidated at that time? I remember they sure, used to, they used to sure. have the F. Oh yeah, they had that FBI show, like from the mid sixties to mid seventies, and they would say the FBI always gets its man. And when you're a oh, little kid, well, you, no, I mean, no, that's no, 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 no. <laughs> when you're you're a little intimidated, there's no question about that. Uh huh. But not as intimidated as you were, you know, sixteen days later when fourteen troopers from the Red Squad march up to your front door. I was, I was called. My office is at the LAPD South Front. They want to see it. Jesus. So I went around. The radio station was on the first floor. Was You could walk from my office, say to your left, go around the corner and go to the front. You could go from the front backwards that way into my, into my office. It was uh, like a circular layout. So I went to my left and then went to the newsroom and got a recorder with a tape recorder. Uh-huh. I wanted to record whatever transaction. We had arranged with my program director that, that if we were raided, we were expecting a possible raid and that we would broadcast the raid live. Wow. So I wanted to get the early part of it. Yeah. So they, uh, I go up to the counter and there, there, there's the, uh, the head of the red squad and, uh, and behind them, there are like 12 or 14 troopers. Yes. I felt intimidated then. But you guys were like a real news reporters. You took it seriously. You weren't like bought and yes. paid for yeah. by someone. Oh right, yes, we had a you're right. We had a really excellent newsroom. We had an uh, excellent Washington bureau at that time. This is before NPR established, uh, you know, a, a full grown news department. They were just doing a half hour. I mean, where 
they were doing an hour a night called All Things Considered. But that, but we had better reporting because we had a we had we had the Pacifica stations. We all chipped in for the Washington Bureau. So so we had a, yeah we we took the news in, uh, seriously. So anyhow they. Uh, we, they, they started to, to look for the tape, and they were going through. Uh, and, and meanwhile, all the television stations were, were trying to get pictures because they, they couldn't get into the station. Uh-huh. But we had, we had these slit windows, so they were shooting through the windows. And I, call, and I, took, uh, I called one of the, uh, the guy who was running the, uh, the show, and I said, look, you have television stations outside. We've got radio stations. We've got newspaper. They want to cover this story. Why don't you have full reporters? You can one, one radio reporter, one print reporter, and one television reporter uh-huh. camera. I said, you can handle that. I said, you know, that woman that's a fear. And, they, and he agreed. So we were able to get full coverage of our race, <laughs> which we were broadcasting, because that's why the, the stations knew. Is that coverage still available anywhere, like on YouTube or something? I don't think so. I don't. I, the, the film coverage, I don't think so. But the uh-huh. radio coverage is available. Oh, okay. it's, it's, it should be in the, in the, cause we used to do programs. So how do you find that? Do you go to like KPFK or something or just Google? Yeah, it? K, well, I, I call KPFK. K, they, I think the Pacifica files are still there. The uh, okay. archive, they should have it in the archive. That would be interesting. Yeah. You should be able to get a hold of that. So where were we? Oh, anyhow. So yeah, they got snippets over the air with women volunteers. She said, don't you dare go through my pocketbook. <laughs> Wow. On the air, right? Wow. So anyhow, I got a subpoena, and that would be the circuit court. And I, uh, they asked me questions. Where was this? This is North Hollywood, correct? Yeah, we're in North Hollywood. Okay. Which is still part of greater Los Angeles. Sure. I'm so, so you had the subpoena. So I, so I get the subpoena. The subpoena asked for me to cut to turn over the original tape and, it's on a, and all of its trappings and wrappings. And, and the, the other... Part of it was that I had to answer certain questions. I think there were like 10 questions surrounding the tape. And I, uh, through my lawyers, uh, I had the uh, Anti-Defamation League was defending me at the time. And they negotiated with the, uh, with the judge. And uh, we got the, uh, the questions thrown out as an intrusion. Uh-huh. And how our, in effect, was that they wanted to know how our newsroom operated, in effect. And then we had, then I was left with the uh, presenting the, the original tape, and I refused to do it on the grounds that uh, it was an intrusion in our newsroom and, and it violated uh, the First Amendment. So the Anti-Defamation League, they're an international Jewish non-governmental organization? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've been around a long but, time, uh, right? What? They've been around oh, like been over around 100 a years, oh, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And oh, and then I, you know, and then the reporters' committee, which Cronkite was president of, wrote a letter in, in my defense. Yeah, and what what did it say? It said uh, that I should be put in jail and while I'm litigating my First Amendment rights, and I had every right to uh, to resist the subpoena because of what they felt that was an intrusion in the operation of the newsroom, governmental intrusion, which would be a, a violation of the First Amendment. So what happened? Well, first of all, it goes through the local circuit court. So that I, I went in for the hearing, and they asked me, the judge asked me whether I had come with the, the tapes, and I I said no, that I was refusing to turn it over. Uh-huh. And he, it was Judge Halk. Uh, Judge Halk. H-O-U-C-K, Halk. 
H O U C K. You like Ralph Hawk yeah. used to be the manager of the. Yeah, Eagles. I don't know what his first name was. Okay, right. but he was a little crazy. Oh yeah, um, his people knew it. They used to. I know there was a comedian at that time. He used to come out in black road as a judge, and he he kept brushing off imaginary things off his shoulder, duster, dandruff, you know. whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But you know, nothing was there. I mean, well, he did the same thing. <laughs> he actually came out in black robe and kept knocking things off his shoulder. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. So uh, his reaction was when I said no, he said uh, uh, to the marshal, he said, marshal, arrest that man. Really? Usually in a, in, a, in a civil hearing, this is not a criminal hearing, it's a civil hearing. In a civil hearing, they usually say, well, the only chance that we can get the material that we want that you, that you refuse to turn it over is that uh, we're going to have to uh, jail you. So come back tomorrow with your, you know, with your toothbrush uh, at uh, 10 a.m. or noon to report. But he did. He just said, "Arrest that man." So I was thrown into a temporary cell. Sounds very dramatic. Uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> Jeez. He said he, he was also the, the the judge who took a swing at my lawyer in chambers. Luckily, he missed. He took a swing at who? My lawyer. Really? Yeah, and, they, and uh, he was rebuked by by Shirley Chisholm, who was uh, what was it? Shirley Chisholm. Shirley I can't remember her name, but she was the. Ch- she was the chief justice of the circuit court, uh-huh. like circuit court, and she rebuked him. She made him apologize. It's like who's he working what? for? That's what you think, you know. What you think? Who is who was he working for? The judge? Yeah, I mean, why is he no, so? He's, he's just crazy. Cra- he's, he's just, just crazy. crazy. He's just crazy. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> how how is such a crazy guy allowed in that position for so long? Yeah, you have to wait pretty much. You have to. Uh, it's a long process. He was. Uh huh. You can you can get rid of them, but it's a long process. So the First Amendment. You have to have a, tri- you have uh-huh. to have a trial. Yeah, and the judges. I mean, they have to. You know, the, the government, local government, has to do it. So I mean, the First Amendment basically means you have the freedom of, for this situation. Freedom, the First Amendment is freedom. Is freedom of the press. Okay, and that's free from government interference. So they were clearly inter- government interference, right. government interference. So they were clearly they were clearly violating your First Amendment rights. Absolutely. So what happened after you were uh, the judge? Oh, so was, <laughs> the judge put well, you I, away. I, I, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the uh, of, of new, new arrivals at the uh, at the county uh, jail. They strip you and they inspect uh, your your anus for contraband. Uh huh. And then they and then they uh, and then they spray you. With disinfectant. Wow. So I was part of that scene. And that's kind then, of like uh, a that's kind of like a dehumanizing experience. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know what they go through. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then I was thrown in, but I was thrown in an isolation cell for a day, and then uh, I was transferred to the federal. So it was a federal subpoena. Okay. So I I went to uh, they transported me to to a fed, to the local federal prison which is it's off of san pedro there's a bridge that connects it so the prison's on an island by itself uh-huh terminal island terminal island i love that day terminal oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that's like as bad as this even worse than devil's island right terminal island right <laughs> 
actually, it's not as bad as it sounds. I mean, it sounds like where it's terrible, but actually, it's a it's a prison where uh, first offenders are said. You know, you don't have any killers or right. It seems like just the opposite, though. It should be for people yeah, who yeah. are living out a life. Yeah, sentence right, or right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or on, or 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 they were on death row. It sounds like death row. Right. To me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I did 15, 15 days there. And then on the 4th of July, Justice Douglas, William O. Douglas, uh-huh. came in and signed an order ordering my release. And he said that no, there's a paraphrase, no reporter should have to stay in jail while he's litigating his First Amendment rights. And that was, of course, on a holiday. And so it made the news on, at least it, uh, it was on the Cronkite show and it was on the Huntley Brinkley. NBC nightly news. Wow, William O. Douglas was a famous guy. Is that the one who was uh, he was nominated by FDR? Yes, he was a very liberal First Amendment kind of guy on the, on the on the Supreme Court. So it basically gave Independence Day a new meaning for you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah sure. I mean, he did it because he knew it would make news. Oh, so he was, knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah it was planned sure. that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you must have been happy. I, well, what were you? What were you mentally going through before you heard that? Well, yeah, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, I was running a, a Pacifica station. I didn't realize it at the time, but it's it very stressful. So I was released of that tr- that stress. I, I, was, I, I yeah, I was having a good time. I didn't have to worry about anything. So it was like a vacation. It was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you look, yeah, in a way, like the food was the food was pretty good. Really. <laughs> I guess it's federal prison, right? Yeah, federal prison. The food, the food was pretty good. And then I got to see uh, uh, Timothy Leary, who was, was being held in protective custody. Remember, he is uh, the one who... Uh, yeah, did, uh, he ha- did he have any LSD on him? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I talked to him, and he kept saying to me, well, you know, you should you should cooperate. You should. He actually wanted, wanted me to turn I guess they wanted him to talk to me to, to, to try to persuade me to turn over the tapes. On what, on what grounds? What was his argument? You don't want to fight the authorities. Yeah. Look what happened to me. You know, like, oh, okay. So he was, he was jaded from the whole experience. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want you to go through what he went through. Well, we think. Okay. Or he was trying to get off in good, good behavior by cooperating with us. Oh, there was something, something in it right, for him. Right, yeah. So who knows what, yeah. I who see. knows what, what the truth was. Okay. So you're not claiming to know what his motivations were, but could have been no, any of those things. No, no. But his wife uh, scared the hell out of my wife. She kept saying, he, he needs to cooperate, he needs to cooperate, look what's happened to me and my, and my husband, you know. And so that was, and added, was, that was added stress so, for you. So long. Yeah, so my wife was hysterical, you know. Wow. We, we weren't getting along that well. We were almost separated at the time. But she was really upset. Anyhow, I was I did 16 days. There's a picture of me leaving the prison. I think it's an AP picture. Really? With, with the kids, my kids uh, and my wife holding, uh, carrying my uh, my clothes, my former, you know, stuff I came to prison with. Wow. In a box. So eventually, at the end of the year, I we went through we went through the, we appealed it to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court refused to hear it, so we had a hearing, and uh, I agreed to turn it over. You what? I agreed to turn it to finally turn it over. Oh, I, okay. Prison. Yeah, yeah. That they could get any clues they could get from the original tape and its wrappings weren't worth anything. 
if they yeah. were worth anything anyhow i don't know it was but it, it, if it was rele- relevant it was no yeah. longer relevant right 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 but that but i was later explained to me that they why they really needed the tape they didn't really need the tape they never explained it to me they didn't need the tape in for any other reason than what they call the chain of uh the chain of evidence chain of evidence right in fact they, in fact i was that i have i was called at the trial of uh, her abductors what the hell was their name like, oh, i can't remember i, I went ones- to the trial and they said do you do you recognize this tape uh-huh and i said yes is this the tape that you received and i said yes and that's all they wanted to know they want to show the, ch- the chain of of evidence so that you're talking about the abductors the the abductors of patty hurst of patty hurst yeah so you you were part of that trial then right i had to, to identify the tape what happened to them they went to jail for like six years uh-huh cool. which was you know which, which was my god that was an easy sentence i mean that was a she went to jail for uh, six years too i think yeah now what does she do but they shot and killed. She shot and killed an officer. Oh my God! I'm looking at her like a current picture of her right now. Doesn't yeah. look like somebody who who would kill somebody. No. But anything can happen, I guess. You get involved yeah. in a certain situation. You're young and, yeah. and impressionable, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, she was brainwashed. She was also <laughs> raped. Oh, I see. Wow. She probably shouldn't have gone to jail, or I didn't think she should have gone to jail. Uh huh. And the Harrises. Her abductor should have gotten a hell of a lot larger sentence than they got. Well, there's two other main things I wanted to talk about. I know we could talk about these things for a long time. You got me now. You might as well get it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, you know, one thing I'm, I'm interested in is there was a newspaper strike probably around 1969, 1970 or something. And, right. and I guess the newspapers stopped being produced and... You in Boston, in Boston. Okay, so you were at, uh, at a radio station there. I think it was WB. WBUR at Boston University. Okay, and so, so what did you do to help people get the news? Well, I I, I had a guy who, who did a fifteen minute state news program, and I had I had a guy called Steve Mendish who did the uh, play reviews and movie reviews. Uh huh. And I just geared up. We. Used we depended on a lot of a lot of copy, and we were getting some copy from uh, from the uh, it came from the Boston Globe. I think the strike was a was a, a printer strike. Okay, I believe, and so they were still producing news at the Globe. The reporters were. How many newspapers so, were in Boston at the time? Three. There was a, the Globe, the Herald, and and what what other one? The Herald, uh, the Morning Herald, and the Afternoon Tribune, which were later merged. Okay. I believe at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we so we got some material from there and I'm trying to think do we have any freelance reporters working. Anyhow, we produced we produced a, a 2-hour program every night. 2-hour program of the news. Back then people were really attached. Well, there was no out, there was no outlet. Right. I mean, they could go, they could go to TV, but we really had in-depth news. Uh-huh. And then at at some point you started working with KCRW which is a very famous radio station. Well, I uh, moved to Santa Monica. Uh-huh. What year was that? So I left Boston. We drove to Santa Monica. So that had to be probably 71. Okay. So I was at uh, KTFK for uh, six years. And um, 
I, I was, we were fired, uh, program director and myself, we were fired. We lasted very long for Pacific at time. Uh-huh. The usual turnover was three years, two, three years, lasted six. And we were very successful. We built the station up, had good listenership, good programming. And my program director uh, was hired to, ru- to run uh, KCRW, uh-huh. which was uh, broadcasting out of a uh, classroom at uh, at a uh, junior high school. Okay. Across the street, was licensed to the college, Santa Monica College. And when and I came over as a volunteer to help her raise money on the air and, and to help her plan for an expansion of this the station the studios would move to the uh, campus they built studios for us in the uh, basement of the uh, underneath the cafeteria so you were you were integral to the beginnings of kcrw yeah i, I picked where the transmitter would be moved okay so we could be heard all over southern california it must have been exciting well, there, were only, there, were, there were only two sites that, that made any sense and my my engineer couldn't make up his mind so the president of the college came, turned to me and he said, choose, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, the mountain. <laughs> and the mountain did, it was, a, was a good choice. Why did you choose? Us out much, well, because it got us out further. got us out to back to Santa Monica with a strong enough signal, and we, and we blanketed. We were, the, I think, uh, one of the strongest signals in, in the San Fernando Valley. Wow. I wish our radio station had a strong signal. We're an LP. We call uh, we call it low power to the people. <laughs> but go ahead. That must have been exciting to have so much wattage. Yeah, it was. How many watts was it? Uh, it was at the equivalent of twenty thousand. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it was it was it was exciting, you know, to get the signal out. It was exciting that you know to start a new station from scratch almost. Uh huh. Of course, back then people weren't all distracted by so many different types of media oh yeah no 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 don't forget we're in a car city uh-huh so everybody listen everybody had a radio in their car so it's going into every your radio station potentially can go into anyone's car any time of the day right how many radio stations were there in the la area at the time then? yeah a lot uh-huh yeah. i don't know 15 20 so was that fm or am at the time fm fm okay but at that time, AM was still was still king. Uh huh. There were some underground rock FM stations, right? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, we have K Rock here. Uh huh. In fact, the story is is the K Rock. I think there were their callers or KPPC originally. The station was sold. They laid off all the underground disc jockeys. You know, six of them, and we took them in at uh, KPFK. We we gave them the we gave them a night each, each, you know, we just wiped out our evening uh-huh. music and let them take over for, so they got jobs. So I understand from talking to Marty that you at some point became in charge of fundraising with KCRW. Well, you were a manager of a of specific station. You're in the, you're in the fundraising. Uh-huh. You know, I learned my fundraising at WBUR. We were a Pacifica affiliate, and they sent down their uh, their top people to teach us how to raise money on the air. At that time, there were only uh, the Pacifica stations were the only stations on the air that would raise money on the air. The university stations wouldn't touch it. Uh huh. So Boston University, which is probably the first, we were the first college station to raise money on the air, and I took those talents 
to uh, KPFK and raise money for them. Did you enjoy that uh, work? When you're, yes, it's very enjoyable when you're making money. <laughs> There's a certain euphoria, right? You're right. Yeah, certain. Uh, it's stressful when you're not. I see. Yeah. For sure, they are all along with your engineer, and that's it. So, what time period did you work with them? KCRW. Yes. Oh, that would be from '71. Uh, I get. I left in '77. From 1979 uh, to 2010. Really? Were you around for yeah. uh, when they had Morning Becomes Eclectic? And oh, yeah. Really? I love that show. Yeah. You lived out there for a while? Or? No, I've, but I've, I've been through there. But, uh, you know, sometimes you can... You're listening, you can, on, on, you're listening on, on, online? Yeah, you can hear it online, number one. And then number two, Right, right. sometimes I, right. I would see... Even like uh, on YouTube, like one of my oh, favorite oh. bands would go through there and they do a live performance. Like I saw right, a band right, camera right. obscura, for instance. Right. Yeah. yeah no. I'm, no. I was. I was. I. I. I actually negotiated for the piano. Really. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we didn't buy it. We uh, we leased it. On a free lease. Wow. I mean, all those other things that you've done in, in the past—they're very interesting. But this is for me the most exciting thing because I'm I was a, I'm a big fan of of that radio station. Well, yeah. Well, I'm a big fan. I was a big fan of the, the music. I loved it. Uh, I loved uh-huh. the kind of music we were playing. And one of the biggest thrill that I had at the radio station was was uh, Willie Nelson coming through. Uh huh. To do a live performance. Actually, he couldn't do. He couldn't make the live performance. Uh huh. But we taped them. So I was in for the taping. So you met him? Talk, talk, talk about the supreme professional. Uh-huh. This man walks in with his guitar and his harmonica player. He sits down and he uh, uh, he just sings. Uh-huh. No band, no nothing. Just a harmonica player. Wow. He's a great and, songwriter, uh, too. Yeah. Oh, he's a, he's, a trema- he's a tremendous poet, actually. Uh-huh. Have you heard his latest album? No, I I don't think I have. It, I, it, it was it, it, it was just it, it, dropped recently, right? Right. Yeah, April. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely listen to it. I have interviewed yeah. his granddaughter Raylan Nelson. She's a musician, and she says only. I mean, she was the uh, she's the daughter of Willie Nelson Jr., but she only says great things about her grandfather. She loves him so much. Well, he he loves his kids. I mean, his kids are all musicians. They are. Uh huh. And one kid's the leader of his, his traveling band. He, he Willie's one year younger than I. He's eighty-eight. Wow! So you're eighty-nine. I'm eighty-nine. Yeah, he's eighty-eight. He was stranded in San Diego. He was he's beginning. He was beginning his tour when the uh, the virus hit. Uh huh. And he had to cancel his tour. So when you saw him, did he have marijuana on him? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <It's> Clint. <laughs> He had to stop smoking two years ago. Yeah, I heard something about that. It's asthma. Yeah. Uh huh. I'm sure he probably still gets it some other way. His THC some other way though. Ah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. He claims he's clean. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. But he's a, a, a wonderful uh, the way he frames his, his his lyrics is just unbelievable. You know, he and he and Frank Sinatra were fans of each other. Wow. Frank Sinatra thought he was the best singer. 
he thought Willie Nelson was. He, he, he yeah. oh, well, Willie Nelson also. Uh, he wrote for a lot of other artists. Like he wrote "Crazy" for. Um, oh yeah, that was his big hit. Yeah. Patsy Cline, right? For Patsy Cline, yeah, one of the all-time hits of uh, in country music. But anyhow, he uh, he has a really some classic songs and uh, it, all these songs. He didn't write any of the uh, I think the eleven songs that are on the album. He picked them. Oh, so these are like covers, like tributes to those songs. And some of them are, are original songs, and, and you know, just written, uh, I guess, for him. Okay. Or he, or he found them somewhere. I don't know, but he, they're all very different. Uh huh. And, and some of them sound like this might be my last album. He has a song that's called uh, uh, "Don't Let the Old Man In." Wow. Which and is about death, death coming. Wow. And warding it off. I mean, wow. And he does a reprise of uh, of trying to think of the song. Is that is the album called First Rose of Spring? Yes. Okay. I'm looking it up right yeah. now. Yeah, it's really wonderful. 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 Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that on my okay. list. <laughs> I'll listen to it at least in the next couple of days. Yeah, I listen to it like once a week. Uh-huh. So you're, you're about the same age. So do you really identify with some of the things he's singing about? or? Oh, sure. Uh-huh. Sure. So I, I just want to go back a little bit more. We didn't talk really talk about Miami very much. Maybe you could give me a little background on your parents, and because I guess they moved to Miami and then you we went down there after. Yes, uh, they moved to Miami in a time when there was rampant anti-Semitism in the area. And my father, my father was wounded in World War II. You did. Marty spoke about that, didn't he? Yeah, I think he he's talked about your father from time to time. He did mention that. My father was drafted uh, when he was 32, went into the uh, infantry, Army infantry. Okay. And sent eventually uh, fought northern Italy and uh, got a minor wound there, was sent to southern France. And uh, they were trying to destroy a, a German machine gun nest. Uh-huh. And, and my father got pinned down. And eventually uh, the machine gun gun uh, gunner got him the, the bullets ripped up it up the side of his leg and, and into his stomach jeez and he laid on the uh, battlefield for 18 hours when they got him they were amazed that he was still alive yeah that 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 sounds like it could, easily could have been fatal yeah wow he so must... anyhow he couldn't stand the uh, the cold in baltimore okay in the winter so they, they moved to Miami. He went for a job in Fort Lauderdale, rather in uh, Carl Gables. He was uh, as an appliance salesman. Okay. And his cousin who got him the, uh, the lead told him, he said, you know, the only problem is they're very anti-Semitic. So their name at the time was Bernstein. Really? So that, so he's filling out, he's filling out, you know, the employment form. And so he writes down Henry and then he, he he looks up and then he writes down Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. Lewis was his middle name. Okay. But he spelled it L-U-I-S, you know, but he, and that's how we uh, got our name changed. Wow. So your name, your name was Bernstein also when you were young. Right. Right. Okay. And, and what about, what about you have a, another brother, Joel, I guess he's older than Marty. Yeah. His name was Bernstein too. Okay. What about Marty? Was his name Bernstein or he came later? He came, he came when it was Bernstein. Oh, it was. I remember when it was Lewis. So, okay, so he, when he was born, it was Lewis. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. And so, did uh, the person who hired him ever f- find out that he was Jewish? No. 
And then he went on to have his own shop. Is that correct? Right. And he sold like early TVs and things of that nature. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember the day I did. His, I helped with his advertising as well, and I sold on the floor and I delivered. I worked with the delivery man. Wow. Uh, and I remember the day we decided uh, we had our biggest competition was a was a large larger store, larger operation, and uh, about eight ten blocks away from us. And we both we both uh, handled Silco, which made TV at that time. Okay. And. So the uh, the regional sales guy comes in and says, "Look, he says we could get a jump on that on your competition if we handle the advertising in, in this way." They were going to offset uh, at, at the local uh, newspapers, but they were still getting the old fashioned mat uh, ads, which they had to make a mold for, and, and you could bypass it by doing a photo offset. Uh huh. So we submitted our ads in photo offset. And we're in the Monday paper. And we had the first televisions that were available for $199.95. 12-inch wow. fil- Philco. What year was that? Oh, God. Now you're really 48 when I moved there. 49. Oh, wow. And 50, so, 50, so you this were... Was like 50, this was like 51. Okay. So it was early yeah, TV. I remember, and I remember being on the truck with the... And we were getting... You know, we called in the... And they give us another address to. We had a we had a mall piled up. Oh, who was on TV yeah. back then? Art Link, Art Linkletter, Amos and Andy. Who was on TV those days? Kuko, Fran, and Ollie. Oh, I remember them from the seventies. I remember right. Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Wow, <laughs> Kukla, Fran, and Ollie. Those are the, pup, uh, the puppets, Sol- right? Su- Two puppets Ed and Sullivan. a lady. Yeah, okay. Ed Sullivan was there. I had Milton Burl. Milton Burl, right. And when did, yeah, that, I, I, I should have said Milton Berle. And when did, uh, was Sid Caesar? That was later. That was later. Okay. And A little later. No, when, did, yeah. when did Lucy come out, come along? That was, that the, was later too. Uh-huh. And how about uh, the Honeymooners? I mean, the Gleason? Yeah. yeah that, was a, that was a couple of years later. But they were, Jackie Gleason was in Miami at some point. But, he lived in Miami. I mean, he, he vacationed or had a vacation home in Miami. Uh-huh. Okay, so when you were in Miami and you started doing like helping your dad with the ads and everything, I guess your brother Joel became a madman, right? He was on Madison Avenue. He got into advertising. Did you influence him to do that at all? I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> my, my uncle Sam was in advertising. Oh, I see. I see. And so, did you get involved at all with uh, sports? Any kind of sports coverage, like the Dolphins or? Uh, the hurricanes or anything like that? Yeah, no, 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 no. But here, the, the story is this. At Miami Senior High School, where I was finishing up my last year, uh, I was trying to, uh, on, on Saturdays, I would go to uh, a radio station. And uh, W-M-E-T, W-M-E, I can't remember the call letters. Okay. But they, they broadcast a lot of syndicated stuff. There was a more, more traditional radio. They had sports, they had soap operas, they had dramas, and they had uh, uh, disc jockeys. But they were an all-around station, which was a rarity at that time. And so I used to go down there and pitch them ideas for radio shows. Okay. So one week, I didn't go there. I don't know what what, what came up on a Saturday. And uh, next Saturday, I go down there, and he said, where the hell were you? We've been trying to get a hold of you. 
I said, what for? He said, we want you to produce a program called High Time for High Sports. High Times for High Sports. We want to do a roundup of high school sports. Okay. We've, we've got the uh, commentator. He's, he's a coach at Santa Monica. That was before marijuana was so prevalent. It was high time for high sports because. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, yeah. Yeah, right here. Yeah, it wouldn't have been a good name for it. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Anyhow, so I wound up uh, uh, producing, uh, and, and the, uh, the commentator was uh, uh, assistant sports director at uh, Miami High School, but he was also my, uh, my driving coach. Really? We had classes for driving, and he was my driving coach. So we got along really well, and, uh, and uh, I, I, I wrote, and he did uh, he did interviews. We did an interview with, with Joe DiMaggio really? at the racetrack. I had the, they got a special uh, pass so I could get onto the because I was under twenty one. Was he still playing at the time? No. Okay. He he'd been retired, but he was still a celebrity. You know? Sure, he mar- married Marilyn Monroe. Jolt and Joe DiMaggio. Right. Later, right, he appeared yeah. in a Paul Simon song, right? Simon Garfunkel. Right, yeah. Where are you? <laughs> Joe DiMaggio. And he took offense to it, but he, they, they had to explain they, to him. Yeah, so I got into radio really early, apparently. I was actually paid for it. Uh-huh. So did you ever cover, like, Miami Dolphins or Hurricane Games in any way? No, no. Oh, okay. Were you around there when the, the Dolphins came, or were you already gone? Um, no, I was already gone. They. Uh, I was there when Miami Senior High School outdrew the University of Miami games. Wow! Wow! The stadium would be packed for for uh, you know for Miami High. High school football was big, huh? Big, big. Wow! And the place would be almost empty for the University of Miami. Oh, Marty wanted me to ask you something. When you were in Gainesville, uh, how did your your wife at the time? How did she like Gainesville? I don't think she liked it. She came from Boston. Oh, okay. And Gainesville was a lot smaller than it is now. Yeah, yeah. What I did like was the original Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now we're, now we're talking. <laughs> Where was when that? They, when, they, when, they, when they were still doing it in pressure cookers. Oh, okay. I remember when I was a little kid, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. It was at one time. It was the best chicken you ever tasted. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was unbelievable. It's so bad now. I, well, I keep forgetting every once in a while I'll order it, and I keep, keep forgetting how bad it's become. Uh, really? So, I mean, have a lot of products like that gone down uh, over oh, time? Yeah. Like Coca-Cola, for instance? I remember when it was a, no, in a glass no, bottle. That, that, you know, no, they've kept their formula. Oh, they have? Okay. They've kept their formula. In fact, they got, they got whacked when they went off formula. They had a new formula, and they had it changed back. I remember something like that. All of a sudden, there was a Coca-Cola classic. Yeah. It was a yeah. new Coke. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't drink that anymore. Of yeah. course, I don't eat. Yeah. I don't eat. I'm yeah. a vegetarian, too, so I don't eat the oh, fried oh. chicken. However, oh, oh, okay. I do remember how big it was back in the day. Oh, like, yeah. It was big and, 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 and as tasty as hell. I mean, it was. Uh, finger licking good. Finger licking good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So yeah, we had the same thing with, with another chicken place out here called El, El Pollo Loco. Really crazy chicken. Crazy. Yeah, chicken. they moved. They, yeah, they they moved it from uh, Mex from Mexico. They had they had a chain in Mexico City, uh-huh. and then they moved one to downtown L.A. And I was working for a Spanish language advertising agency at the time, and uh, the boss said, "Come on over. I want to show you this new place." And it chicken was 
first they marinated it, and then for the next 24 hours, they they roasted it over a, a pit. So they were serious. It wasn't like this fast food crap. That, oh no, no, yeah. no! It was one. It was wonderful. I mean, it was like it was like discovering Kentucky Fried Chicken again. Uh huh. Only when only it was different, and it was just you know, I was unbelievably good. So and, that's and called they, that's called they, what? It's called El Pollo Loco. They still oh, have the brand right. name, but you don't want to go there anymore. No, they sold it. They sold it three times. The chicken went from large to extra small. Really? <laughs> and it, it, it and it's not as tasty. I wonder if Breaking Bad got the uh, you know they had a, they had that chicken place. That oh yeah, that front chicken place. place. Yeah, yeah, Los yeah. Polios Hermanos or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, yeah. I wonder if they got that from that one. Sure. They uh-huh. had a couple. Well, you know, a lot. Oh, they had a number of a couple of other uh, competitors. So, uh, one time there were a lot of uh, polio places. Oh. Uh huh. So, yeah, that's where they got it. Sure. So, how do you like it out there in California? You've been there a long time now, huh? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. I'm uh, I'm out of the city. I'm in uh, I'm north of Los Angeles, north of the valley. Okay. About about twenty miles north, Which- and I'm now I, I'm now eight miles from the ocean. I get an ocean, an ocean breeze every day. Oh, that's nice. And the weather is great. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, if it's 80, we're having a heat wave, you know. Wow. But the low will be in the 60s. or in the, Today, the high will be 80, and the low is uh, 60. Do you see the ocean much? No, I don't anymore because of my paralysis. Oh, um, how long have you been in that situation? Uh, only since 13. Do you mind telling us what happened? I have a, uh, a growth on the back, uh, on my spine, benign growth. Okay. The consi- consistency of a brain tumor. Oh, oh my God. It's fairly rare. You, if, they, if they removed it, it would kill me. So it's affected, uh, I'm paralyzed uh, from the waist down. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. I mean, I got it fairly late. I'm, I'm sorry for the poor guys who come back in their in their 20s and 30s from from Iraq or Afghanistan. Uh huh. You know, well, they have to be in the wheel, wheelchair the rest of their life. Oh yeah, know. sure, sure. That's a very broad-minded way of looking at it, but still, I'm. Well, you know, I guess it is you, what you know. You yeah. have to accept it. You know. Sure. Like anything, we all have to accept certain things in life. You know. Sure. Sure. We don't know what what it's going to bring. And so as you said, you're 89. So as you've gotten older, do you think you've grown internally more, you know, as you've had more, you know, physical or external limitations? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. And also caring for my wife. My wife is in the middle stages of uh, Alzheimer's. That's that's that must be really hard. It is. And uh, and also uh, expensive. I mean, I need caregiving for both of us. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, I just recently put a GoFundMe up because I could I didn't have any have nowhere to get the money. Went through everything. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What is what's your yeah. GoFundMe? What is it? Yeah, I mean, how could somebody it, how how could somebody find that? Oh, under medical, Will Lewis. Uh, you, Will Lewis you go under to medical. medical. Okay. Yeah, my brother was helping out, but I but I went through and I, I owe fortune to everybody. Well, because, I mean, because you, you you're not ready. You, it, you know, you're not ready for that kind of cost. So what do you think about the healthcare system? I mean, h- how do you feel that's affected you? 
Like well, if, Medicare is wonderful, but it does, Medicare just doesn't cover caregiving. Well, don't you think it should? Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. It should, but, you know, it will cost the government, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. I mean, you, okay, you're a war veteran. Yeah. Are you, right? And uh, I, and yeah, and I, get a, and, I, and I get a pension for, uh, right. but that's not enough. Right. So, I mean, okay, but what I'm, what I'm saying is, I mean, we spend so much money on the military industrial complex. I don't want to get too political or anything, yeah. and, but they don't even take care of the people who, I mean, what to speak of everyone, I think everyone should have health care, but people who have served aren't even being taken care of uh, sufficiently, it seems to me. Well, yeah, there's a problem, you know, it, it, there's a problem. There are too many of us. Uh huh. I mean, that's the big problem. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the all the economics of it and everything, but it just seems well, to me a, that it took, it, it took me a year to get my pension. Uh huh. The uh, luckily they uh, they 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 send you the back that your back pay. In other words, whenever they receive the uh, initial application, the clock starts ticking, but you don't get the money until they finally approve it. So you get it retroactively. Yeah, which I already spent the money, so I had to pay everybody back. <laughs> of course, yeah. Wow. The whole system, uh, you know, not just for war veterans, but for other people too, and never, never serve. You know, they go through they go through their house money. They have to sell their house. Okay, well, I'm I, not the only person. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's rampant. My my condition is rampant. So your but your situation, I mean, you know, with the paralysis and the money situation, and your and your wife having being in the middle of yeah. Alzheimer's. I mean, how do you keep your spirits up? Um, I'm optimistic. I've always always been optimistic. I've been lucky in life. That's wonderful. I mean, I really have been lucky in life. I mean, uh-huh. and be, you know, when you're 14, they pick up the telephone and they haven't written a, a, a gag yet. And I call the, dist- the local disc jockey and tell them you're, you write humor and you want to write for them. And then you, you you come down three days later with the maturity of clobbered together and uh, show it to him, and he hires you. Wow, that must have been really a thrill. Yeah. So you get to the point where you that that encourages you. Sure. To want to apply for things and, and do things. So so I've been lucky most of my life. I'm lucky now. I'm 89. Uh huh. So many people I know who are who are in their eight, eight, 80s are dead. Sure. I mean, I'm 56, and I. You know, a lot of my friends have passed passed on, you know. Yeah. I can imagine when, you know, 30 years from now or something, if I'm fortunate enough to still be alive, you know, what the situation oh. will be. So what, what advice would you give to somebody like, you know, sometimes there may be a tendency not to take a certain risk or to do something. You know, you kind of like hold yourself back. So how do you kind of get past that if you don't? Well, I think you got I, I, to take the risk, uh-huh. I think. And then I got discovered by Channel 7 here, uh, KBC, uh, the owned and operated local TV station. Wow, that must have generated some help. Oh, yeah, it did. It did. For three days, I got nothing but you know, contribution after contribution. Wow. It, I'm glad to I, hear I'm, that. So it's working out for yeah. you. Well, yeah. I've got, I've got 10 months worth of uh, bills paid, I mean, caregiving paid in advance. I'll draw on that. But I need more money than that. Sure. So it's it's slowed down a little bit. Uh huh. I'm figuring out ways of spiking it, and all and all because I got. I mean, I've been. I'm even thinking of advertising. Nobody's ever done that before. Uh huh. Wow, your mind is so active and sharp. I hope mine's even half that when I uh, 
when I get to <laughs> when if oh, if I, I get I, to I, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, I wish it was sharper. I mean, I think uh, I think your mind's sharper than mine is right now. <laughs> well, I, I've got you know I've got I've got I've got you know the old age dementia, which is the the difficulty of pulling names and dates. Right, I have that too. And uh, and the and the exact word you want. Uh huh. I think a lot of it has to do with though, just so much so much memory to deal with. You know. Yeah. I mean, how storage. much can any? Yeah, how much can anyone contain? Right. But I'm sure yeah. it's it's there but, somewhere. But, but, but it's it's connected to old age. Uh huh. Everybody has a little of that problem, but uh, you know, not to the degree that I would have it. Uh huh. At, at eighty nine. Yeah, but a lot. I mean, a lot of people your age don't have it anywhere near the capacity. I mean, do you take anything, any supplements or anything? No. 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 So, are you aware? I, I'll just. I'm just kind of curious. Are you aware of uh, your your brother Marty's old Uncle Hound persona? Not really. No. <laughs> well, he's done a couple of uh, you know spoof infomercials on some of my shows as old uh-huh. Uncle Hound. If you ever get a chance to hear them, they're pretty funny. I guess comedy kind of yeah. runs in your family. Yeah, no, he's he's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> well, so thank what you. are you doing? What, what am I what, doing? Yeah. Uh, well, I have three radio shows at the LP station. Uh, one's called the Gainesville Grooves, and I play mostly uh, Gainesville-related music or all on that show. Another one is called the Gargsville Radio Hour, and it's mostly a theme music show, although I do do interviews. And then the other one is called Power Pop Portal, and I've been doing that since 2012. So this is a podcast I've been I've I've started recently uh, called the Gargsville Podcast. But it's been really, really nice talking to you. Uh, you know, I think we all have to have appreciation of, you know, where everything's come from. You know, yeah. you know. I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here uh, drinking tea out of a cup uh-huh. that my son, that one of my sons sent me, and it has the logo of every place I've worked at, all except the University of Florida. Oh my I God. Guess. Is there any way? So I got put- I got KCRW, KPFK, WBUR, and the Press Club. I was president of our local press. Club. Oh, really? The Los Angeles Press Club. Yeah, I was. Wow, another accolade. Yeah. It doesn't have the Wish Station on it, though, does it? No, it doesn't have the Wish Station, and and it doesn't have the UFT either. But it's got it. You know, it's got the NPR logo. It's got the Press Club logo. It's got the KPFK logo. WBUR logo and uh, the KCRW logo. There's a great story about uh, how it shows you how, how Johnson like like the exercises his power as president. Uh huh. I flew in from Boston. We're having a, a national convention, a National Association of Educational Broadcasters, and I was on the board of directors. So the the board was flying out on a charter flight from Washington and a propeller, a prop plane. We didn't have. We couldn't afford the jet. Jets were just coming in. So I fly from Boston to Washington. We get on the plane that afternoon, and we fly all night to Denver, where the uh, the meeting's going to be, the convention. And we land on the in the Denver airport, and somebody comes up to the plane and says, don't get off. President Johnson wants you back at the White House tomorrow morning wow. for the signing of the Public Broadcasting Act, which we had lobbied for. So that's why he wanted the board of he wanted the board to be there. So as so we didn't get off the plane. If you look at my picture and you blow it up, you'll see I need a shave. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have time to shave. Man, that must have been. But a that's that was they said that was typical of Johnson. He would do that to everybody. Was what are you saying? It was some kind of power trip or something? Or that was yeah, just his style? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that was just like a power trip. You know, like he used to take the reporters into the uh, the bathroom with him. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, the same, same old. Well, yeah, he he'd be thing. like uh, relieving himself as he talked to the reporters and stuff. Right, right. He's from Texas, right? He was from Texas. Texas, yeah, yeah. But wow. he was a great president. Gave us uh, Medicare. Gave us the Civil Rights Bill. Yeah, and and gave us public broadcasting. Wow, because he knew where the levers. I, I interviewed the, the, his biographer, who spent a lot of time. My God, he, on the last interview I did with him, I said. You know, I said, I stopped. I said, uh, Johnson, you spent as much time writing about Johnson as Johnson spent in the House of Representatives and the Senate. Wow. <laughs> and, he said, and he said, yeah, I guess I did. It's over 10 years. But he, his, 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 uh, yeah, his stuff on Johnson is terrific. That's all the good and the bad. I mean, I, you found out that Johnson, uh, Johnson's first job uh, was a teacher. Uh-huh. And he taught young black children. He never forgot that. What was the name of the biographer? Uh, that's the, and I can't give it to you. I should. No. I've, it, I've got, luckily I've got, I can, I can, I can look it up because I've got his, his books here. Uh, and I can ship it to you, but, uh, okay. I, I see yeah, here. There's, so one, is, there's uh, one name, Robert Caro. I don't know if it's him. Yeah, that's him. Oh, that's him. Okay. His stuff is terrific. Is he still with Johnson, us? Yeah, yeah. Johnson knew he was going to die in the seventies. Uh huh. No, it was sixty. Pardon me. Is that why he, he didn't run he, again? No, he didn't run again because of the uh, the Vietnam War. Okay. He had gotten us into it and then lied about it too. Um, but uh, well, he obviously never forgot about those kids that he taught. He came from a segregated state, and then when he was picked to run for office, he was picked by the oil magnates down there. Wow. He came through for them, but he also came through ultimately for the those kids. Well, it's it's good to hear and, and, somebody and say something off. good about him because some people there's conspiracy theorists who think that he was part of the JFK assassination, and then there. Uh, 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 no. <laughs> well, you hear all but these no, things but about any, him. But, but yeah, but, but anybody gives you Medicare. That's very significant. Civil rights and, and civil, civil rights. Yeah, and public broadcasting. My God, sure. And he knew he could get it only, only after Kennedy's death. He knew that that he that if he moved fast, he could get everything he wanted, and that Kennedy wanted. Uh huh. I see here. And that, he did uh, it. And he did it. But but here's a guy who who was Speaker of the House as well as, well as Senate leader. Uh huh. So he knew where how he knew how to get to get things through Congress. It's funny because even though he was a Democrat, you know, at the time, the, the counterculture movement was not, they were not very happy yeah. with him. Well, they weren't happy with him because of the uh, Vietnam. Uh-huh. He got us into Vietnam. Didn't it start with Kennedy a little bit? A little bit, but but it was, it, it, it was Johnson. And after he, you know, he finished out Kennedy's term, he beat Barry Goldwater, right? In the, in the, to be elected in 64, I believe, right? Right. Okay. And then he bowed out. He, yeah, he bowed out. Yeah, for a second term. Well, thank you so much, Will. I really appreciate good luck, it. Good luck on your project. I came back for the 50th anniversary of uh, and the alumni group uh -huh. from uh, 
uh, from the journalism school. When was that? It was before I was paralyzed. It was, it was probably somewhere between 2010 and 2011. Okay, have a great day, Will. Okay, I will. Enjoy the ocean breeze. I will. <laughs> You're listening to the Gargsville Podcast with your host, Gargs Allard. This is Gargs Allard here with the Gargsville Podcast. I'd like to thank Will Lewis for coming by or answering the phone. I talked to him from California, and I hope you enjoyed this interview. If anyone wants to help out Will, you can donate to his GoFundMe page. It's entitled Paralyzed Korean War Vet Faces Dire Health Bills. Before we go, i like to check in with Will's brother, Marty. I think he's 18 or 19 years junior to him. What's new, Marty? There was a like a referendum, or a, well, I forget what they call it. And they used to call it a referendum. They call it something different nowadays. But uh, it passed. And I don't know what's going to happen because they, they, Oregon voters to, voted to make heroin and LSD legal. So in other words, it'll, people who are addicted to drugs, it'll be, just, it'll be treated as a disease, not as crime. In New Jersey, they <laughs> voted recreational marijuana legal. You should go there immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, it probably won't take place until January 1st. Who knows? You know, some of these states, they delay it. I think in California, yeah, it took a while because they have to turn. See, in New Jersey, they don't, they don't have enough. What do they call the outlets when it's medical? They have a name for it. Dispensaries. Dispensaries, yeah. They don't have, they don't have, they've never really had enough dispensaries. But now if it's completely legal, they're going to have to have a lot of stores, especially marijuana stores. So, Marty, so, I'm going to play my interview with your brother, Will, on my show today. But you never contacted Will's dog. I told you about Will's dog, and you never mentioned a thing about it. What is Will's dog's name? I don't remember. I don't remember. So should I channel old Uncle Hal? Yes, especially when you start talking about dogs. Dogs. Well, before we start talking about dogs, I think we should talk about the word dog. Well, bring, all, mean, bring old Uncle Hal down because I have a question for him. Try to channel I growl, he might come in. Old Uncle Hound here. Hey, Old Uncle Hound, how you doing today? Pretty good. Hey. I heard you were talking that Marty Lewis. Yeah, we're going to have his brother on, Will Lewis, on the show today. and But I wanted to ask you a quick question. It looks like Biden's probably going to get in as president. Anyway, if he does, they're talking about having a post which your name has been bandied about concerning. Uh, yes, I've been contacted by the Biden campaign a couple of weeks ago, and they're considering starting a, a well, basically a Department of Canine Affairs. They're considering me as the secretary of the Department of Canine Affairs, but there's no decision has been made yet, obviously, because the uh, technically the uh, election is not final. Well, let me ask you this, old Uncle Hound. Would you accept the position if you were offered it, providing, of course, Biden is elected president of the United States? It pays $125,000 a year to start. And I'm right now I'm making Jack Gidley dog squat. So damn right I'd take it. Okay. You do know that I, I'm related to Shade Dog Bear. You know about him, right? Yeah, yeah. 
He is a Marxist revolutionary, Marxist-Leninist dog revolutionary. He will free all the dogs from animal slavery. I'm surprised the corporate Democrats would would touch you. Well, I never came out for that stuff myself. I see. Um, for me, I'm just into vegan, you know, vegan dog child stuff. But them communist dogs, they're actually carnivores. They are that old-fashioned idea that you need three meals a day with meat and potatoes and all that spinach, like Popeye and all that bull. I had no they're idea gone. that dogs ate spinach. <laughs> they mix it in with the dog food. You can't really see it. Good talking to you, old Uncle Hound. So, anyway, Marty. Wait. Come back. Come back, Marty. Hold on. (laughs) See you later, old Uncle Hound. Where am I? What just happened? Uh, You just just channeled old Uncle Hound. It's okay. Okay. Yeah, old Uncle Hound is gone now. He'll come again later, probably. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know what he says, but sometimes... I, yeah, we recorded the whole thing, oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'll play yeah, it back to you. I don't get to hear much, much of the old Uncle Hound stuff at all, only when it's recorded. Where do you go when old Uncle Hound joins us? That's what I want to know. Oh, it's like kind of like going to sleep and just kind of dreaming, but you're in your body and you're just walking around and all about that. Is it restful? Uh, no, because you can kind of hear Uncle Hound growling in the background. I wouldn't want your Barking. job, man. Barking. It's a dirty dog job, but somebody's got to do it. Doggone it. <laughs> you, you, you are like a low life. You are going to become a dog in your next life. I know it. You and your friend Gar Zowers, you're going to be running up and down the street chasing cars, barking at them. You're going to try, you're going to be so crazy that you're actually going to try to bite somebody. My dog Clover always used to run after my father's. Uh, Dotson pickup truck and like snip at the wheel and I always thought that if he actually tried to bite it he would go flying or break his neck or something but he never I've never actually, seen a dog get the yeah I've never seen it actually have I've never seen a dog actually get but you've the seen wheel. him sni- snipping at the wheel sometime right yeah, oh yeah my dog did it all the time it's Misty, ca- it's kind of scary who's known as Krang she kind of looked like a mallard duck she was blackish and she had like I'm a, very we'll sensitive anytime you mention Mallard because my name is Allard. <laughs> Guard Allard Mallard. Guards Mallard Allard. Guards Allard Mallard. I'm going to enter, let you enter into full insanity on your own for the okay. night. Just All right. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye Mallard Allard Allard Mallard Mallard Mallard. Until next time, you dirty dog. Hello, this is Gargs Allard, host of Power Pop Portal, the Gainesville Grooves, and the Gargsville Radio Hour. I'm here to tell you you can become just like me with my brand new 777 diet program, as seen on infomercials everywhere. I developed the 777 diet program to make my life simpler, and yours can become simpler too. I will personally show you how to gain 7 pounds in 7 days on only $7 a day. That's 7 pounds in 7 days for only $7 a day. You must not be averse, however, to a diet consisting primarily of pizza and ice cream. That's the 777 program available at Walmart, Walgreens, and across the street at CVS. Tell them Garg's Allard sent you. Hi, folks.
it's the old dog whispering himself. Old Uncle Hound, here to tell you about a brand new product of mine called Old Uncle Hound's Vegan Dog Treats. It's just like the treats our dog's ancestors used to eat here in North Central Florida in the 70s. Only they're vegan, and they taste good for both dogs and humans, especially old hippies. Mm -hmm. Just munching on one right now. Tastes good like a vegan dog treat should. Don't eat a full bag of them or your dog might get angry at you and scratch some Lyme disease ticks all over your body. Old Uncle Hound's vegan dog treats are now available in fine pet stores everywhere. Close your eyes. The dream won't last as long as you think. How much are former presidents remember today? Not very long in the grand scheme of things. Get enough rest. Eat whatever your Wheaties are for you, hopefully not Wheaties, and don't be very concerned about the fluctuations of the material world. The world is full of temporary winners destined to lose. Just try to be happy. Eat your lunch. Biden or Trump will be the president of the United States soon, and life will go on. The news will continue to be mostly bad whoever wins. So vote if you haven't and feel you should. But look for the good news every day. Eat your dinner. People are starving in America and Africa. But don't let that put a crimp on your day. Enjoy nature. Enjoy music. Take a walk. Do something kind to someone. Do something creative. Feed the cat. Feed the dog. Feed a human. Chant Hare Krishna. Buy new tires for your car. Before one of your tires blow. Do some art. Listen to some more music. Shut up and play your guitar, Frank Zappa. Write a poem about how the sun will still be shining in 2199. One day long before that, you'll be feeding the fishes or the worms. One day your ashes will disappear in the wind, and you will fly somewhere else like everyone who has come and gone before us. Go to sleep. Dream within your dream. Wake up and start again. All these presidents will die and become a fading blip on the screen of eternal time. Cheerios are greater than Wheaties, but I prefer rice and dal. What are you still stressing about? Eat some soup and salad. Drink some more water. And above all, dedicate your life to pizza and spaghetti. Until next time, this is Garg Zallard. See ya. Hare Krishna. It's time for all of us to once again float off into different frequencies, the night dreams and the daydreams. Until the next time we meet again in Gargsville.